I loved this song selection. I thought it was, there was so much in there that was like, wow, that's like, that's using scripture that I'm planning to. Like so, so many of your songs were like touching on scriptures that I was planning to bring up. So it's just it's beautiful. It's wonderful. You may have noticed some new looks in the Penner household. I uh, got my teeth pulled, two teeth on Thursday. So I can't say V very well or F. Um, hopefully that won't be too distracting. You may have noticed Samuel and Phineas have new looks. It was hard for me. I'm still grieving it a little bit. Phineas's hair being gone. And you might not be able to tell um, Rachel's new look, but she's pregnant. <laughs> so we're excited about that. <laughs> and uh, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to speak on uh, <clears throat> about uh, one of my favorite Bible characters. Um, he's not necessarily as, as well known as, as most people think, but uh, his name is Jesus. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to speak on a completely underrated Bible verse. If you could turn to one of the most exciting chapters in the New Testament, Matthew 1. I will do my best to not put you to sleep reading all the begats. I'm just going to pray. Hey Jesus, we love you. And... uh, We want to know you so much more. And I just ask, Lord, that you would glorify yourself here through the things I share. That you would um, really help me to um, just present you clearly and truthfully. And uh, I really ask you, just stir our hearts to love you more, God. To understand you more, to know you better. And... uh, that we would be transformed through growing in the knowledge of God and understanding who you are and what you're like, what you have done and what you intend to do. Amen. So, uh, Matthew 1, verse 1, the first verse of the New Testament, is, in my opinion, a wonderful concise three-part summary of the gospel, of the gospel message. A lot of people, when they hear the word gospel, they think Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I get to go to heaven. And that's absolutely glorious and true and wonderful, but it's only a small part of the gospel. The gospel is actually much bigger than that because gospel means good news. And there's lots more amazing good news than just that part. Although that part is glorious and amazing and we should never forget it or doubt it. But there's, so I'm going to share 
uh, some of the more of the, the gospel message. So Matthew 1 verse 1 reads, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So that phrase, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, I, I kind of imagine in the first century, um, Jewish scribes or others hearing that or reading that, and it's just like, whoa, like, whoa, like, drop the mic, like, hold on, like, that's crazy. Like, do you have any idea what that means? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Are you crazy? Like, that's almost heresy. Like, what? And so, the book of the genealogy, the word genealogy is from the word geneseos, the Greek word. Think of an Old Testament book of the Bible that sounds very similar to geneseos. Yeah, Genesis. So, this could totally have been translated the book of Genesis of Jesus Christ. And one of the main reasons it isn't is because it's followed by a massive genealogy. And so the translators, I actually, I was curious to kind of look through all the different translations and see how they chose to translate this word. But at least for the ESV, which I'm reading from, they would have chosen, they would have interpreted that Matthew, when he wrote this, was speaking specifically of this chapter. But there are others who believe quite strongly and can present some compelling evidence that this isn't just a title for this chapter, it's a title for the whole book, for all of Matthew. And I, I personally find that quite compelling. And uh, the phrase, the book of the genealogy, the, the Greek phrase is only found twice in the entire Old Testament. And it's, um, both are in Genesis, and uh, in reference to so Genesis 2 verse 4 and Genesis 5 verse 1, and both are about beginnings. So in Genesis 2 ver- verse 4, it's the... Um, it's the origin, by the way, that's what Genesis means. It means origin. And so it's the origin of the, the heavens and the earth. So it's the beginning of everything. And so when Matthew uses this phrase, the book of the Genesis of Jesus, it's like he's saying, hey guys, there's a whole new beginning. There's a whole new creation coming. There's a whole new story. The other time it's used, in 5 verse 1, is speaking about Adam. The book of the generation, how it's translated in English, is usually the book of the generations of Adam. This, I think it might even say son of God. I should uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a bad habit of saying, I think, instead of verifying myself. It says it somewhere else. I know it does say it, but uh, no, it's probably from Luke's, Luke's genealogy that calls Adam the son of God. But, but um, So when Matthew 
says the book of the Genesis, generations, genealogy, origin of Jesus Christ, it's like he's saying Jesus is the next Adam, the perfect man. He's, we're returning to how things were, and we're making it all new again. And, uh, and there's, there's this kind of implicit comparison between Adam and Jesus. Adam was the first, and he was perfect, and he was given dominion. And Jesus is, in a sense, the new first. He's given new dominion, um, and he is um, going to make everything the way it should have been again. It's, it's signaling a return to the way things were meant to be but aren't any longer. Consider that Jesus was just like Adam and Eve, tempted by the devil, but he didn't fail. So that's the marked difference between this new man, Jesus, and the other new man, Adam, is that Adam was marked by failure and Jesus is not. Jesus is a better, perfect man. And in, uh, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just as it was given to Adam and Eve to exercise dominion over the earth. And so, when in Matthew 1 verse 1 it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we have the introduction to the better, more perfect man who is going to successfully complete the mission given to him and will accomplish all that is in his Father's heart. And he's going to bring us all back to the garden, but better. I, I just love that. It's beautiful. So, uh, in speaking of the perfect man, I would like to draw our attention to the cloud rider. And, and as, you're, as you sung about in uh, the book of Daniel... Chapter 7, we have mention of the famous Son of Man. Um, starting at verse 13. This is Daniel speaking, I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus throughout his ministry, regularly referred to himself as the Son of Man. He was pointing back to this Daniel passage and saying, that's me. I'm the cloud rider. Now the thing about this that is so remarkable is that a man is 
permitted to get so close to God. He's presented before God. And what's also remarkable is that this man rides on clouds because only gods do that. In the, in the ancient kind of Near Eastern cosmology, the idea of riding on clouds, that wasn't like specific. That wasn't uh, only in our Bible that that idea was. It's in other cultures too. They had this idea. But it was, it was totally a God thing. And so when Daniel sees this picture of a man riding on clouds, it's like this weird juxtaposition. Like, how can... It's, it's a, uh, um, a... a Old Testament hint about the incarnation of God becoming man. A perfect man. And... Uh, the uh, we see in the book of Revelation that in Revelation chapter five, where remember that passage where um, John is weeping because there's no one found worthy to open the scroll, and the Lamb is shows up and is presented, the lamb representing Jesus, who is a man, and he goes and takes the scroll from the hand of God, like the most epic moment in human history, where a, God, where a man is permitted to exercise and carry out the plan of God perfectly. Okay, so that's, that's the first part of Matthew's three-part summary, title of his book, uh, Summary of the Gospel. The next part, I think most of us will catch, um, the son of David. So in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it was prophesied that David... God told David that he would always have a descendant ruling on his throne in Jerusalem. And it was in response to David telling the prophet Nathan, hey, I get to live in this beautiful palace I've built for myself, but God's ta- the, the ta- still in the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant is still in the tabernacle. And Nathan's like, yeah, you know, go, what's on, go and do what's on your heart to do. Go and build God a house. But then God goes to Nathan. He's like, no, you got that wrong. David's, I'm not going to let David build me a, a temple. His son Solomon will do that. It doesn't name Solomon, but his son will do that. And uh, there's this amazing promise that just as David wanted to build a house for the Lord, God flips it on him and says, um, thus says I'm, I'm reading from verse 8 now, 2 Samuel 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. 
and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And it goes on. And a lot of this is actually specifically um, talking about Solomon. But in, in later um, prophecies in the Psalms and elsewhere, we see that there's this label, son of David, that is used to refer, it's basically a synonym for the Messiah, the one who is anointed to be king over Israel. And so uh, the, one thing that we don't always um, recognize or appreciate about our King Jesus is that although he is king of the universe and king of the world and king of our hearts, he's first actually the king of Israel. There's this crazy um, uh, specificity, or that's not the word I'm looking for. I'm <laughs> sorry, the word left my brain, but particularity about Jesus as the king of Israel. And what's amazing is that the things God told David would characterize the future kingdom that would come to one of his descendants. It's not in place yet. So this is actually unfulfilled prophecy. Jesus has come. In Matthew 1, we learn of the coming of Jesus, but there's stuff here that's not actually fulfilled. And so... The idea of Jesus as the son of David is actually future prophecy. It's still in our future. That hasn't been fulfilled yet. There isn't peace in Israel. Jesus is not on the throne of David in Jerusalem. He's in heaven. So we're still waiting for this to come to pass. When there will actually be peace in Israel. And so, there's a, um, th this brings up a, uh, a natural uh, offense that, wait, why is Israel so special? And the, from my opinion, the most uh, theologically safest answer to that question is because God said so. That it's just his choice. He can do what he wants. He chose to make Adam and Eve first. And he chose Abraham. And then he chose David. He chose the people of Israel. He chose most. There's the, uh, so I'm a Arminian. That means I believe in free choice and that we can choose God or not choose God. And, uh, and a lot of times Arminians, like me, do not like the idea that God predestines and selects and chooses people. But there's a tension there. It's, it is simply biblical that God selects. But it's 
needs to be affirmed that God selects people to extend blessing through them. And he chose Israel to be a blessing for the whole world. Jesus is a Jew, and he came to the Jews for the sake of the nations, the whole world. And so even if we might, it might actually bring up political issues to affirm that Jesus is a Jewish king who's going to reign in the future from the city of Jerusalem, and we might not like to go there, that's simply the testimony of Scripture. Um, but it, he's not only going to rule over Israel, he will rule over all the nations. In Psalm chapter 2, God is, te- is um, basically telling all the nations who are raging against him, he's laughing at them, he's like, I'm going to raise up my son, my beloved son, and I'm going to give him the nations as his inheritance. In Psalm 110, David prophesies about Jesus. Psalm 110, verse 1, if you didn't know, is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. So if you're ever curious what was likely most many people in the first century, their favorite verse, good chance it was Psalm 110, verse 1. And it talks about the, the mas- David's master. He's prophesying about his future master, uh, just a clue. Remember a few weeks ago, uh, Joseph mentioned that if you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, and it's all capital letters, that's a cue for Yahweh. So in Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, the first Lord is all caps. So Yahweh said to my Lord, that's not all caps. That second Lord is Adonai, which means master. So the Lord said to my master, who is David's master? Jesus. Jesus himself asked the scribes, hey, how come David calls the son of David his Lord? And they had no idea how to answer him. And Jesus was basically saying, it's me. Hello, I'm right in front of you. I'm all yours, all y'all's Lord. And so the son of David is allowed to, in Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. So right now, that's what's happening. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, the Son of God, David's master, sorry, the Son of David, the Son of David, yet his master is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now until, until when? Until I make all your enemies your footstool. The son of David, who is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father, is going to come back. This is a super important aspect of the gospel. The gospel is not complete if it doesn't include Jesus coming back. As the son of David, the king over Israel, who will rule over the whole world. That's Included in the gospel. That is great news. That is, we don't have to worry about the future being um, decreed and decided and judged and determined by Biden or up in Canada where I'm from by Trudeau or by the Chinese Communist Party or by Russia, etc. No, the, the future world will be 
ruled by the perfect man, the better Adam, who did not and never will fail. That's the God, that's all part of the gospel. And that's what Matthew is saying when he simply says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And unfortunately for us, we're so far removed from the first century culture where they all had all these messianic expectations and they're all waiting, where's the Messiah? Where's the son of David? When's he coming? They were studying these verses. They knew all this stuff. So when Matthew says the son of David, they knew everything I just told you and so much more that I don't even understand. That's all familiar to them. Um, and it will be a, a glorious kingdom over all the earth. And the perfect man will make the world a paradise garden again, like it was always intended to be, and better. Okay, part three of Matthew's summary of the gospel. The son of Abraham. This, uh, I just love this. Um, I just find it so touching and, uh, and beautiful. And, um, so the, uh, the son of Abraham, so that was actually a common term for the ideal Jew. The someone who follows in the footsteps of their father. It's, it's a noble kind of title, term you'd use for someone. And so in that sense, it's not necessarily uh, so grandiose, but in this context and in this culture, or sorry, in, of what Matthew's saying. Well, another thing about the idea of the son of Abraham is that um, sometimes Abraham was referred to as the first convert to Judaism. He was a pagan, God called him out of paganism and established a covenant with him, a covenant of to be a blessing to all the nations. And so when Jesus is referred to as the son of Abraham, it actually, similar to son of David, in, but more clearly, is a cue that this Jesus guy is in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that through him, because David is descended from Abraham, that's the through part. Through Abraham, there would, God would extend blessing to the whole world, to all the nations. And so Matthew is kind of saying, this is global. It's not, just, it's not just for Israel. It's not just for the Jews. This, this Jesus Messiah figure is a son of Abraham, and he's, through him is coming blessing to all the nations. Um, further, and this is the part I love most, this isn't as clear, but I, I'm still going to talk about it, because even if it's, I can't say with absolute confidence this is what Matthew was intending, I still think it's an implication of the whole idea of Jesus as the son of Abraham. So in Genesis 22, we have a most remarkable story that a lot of people struggle with because it, it depending how you read it, 
can paint this picture of God as uh, a monster. I've heard people say that. Uh, I don't know specifically about this passage, this chapter, but basically about the ideas here. Uh, 22 verse 1, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, just in case you weren't clear, your only son, the one you love a lot, the one I gave you as a promise, in your old age, that one, that son, take that son and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. And uh, some people say that it was actually a failure of Abraham's that he obeyed instead of arguing with God. That, it was a, that, that was the test. The test was... Abraham, am I a good God or am I a bad God? That's what some people say, which I think is um, against the clear portrayal of the passage. That's not at all what this is saying. Now, we know that our God is a good God, and he doesn't want us to kill our children for him. But I think that the, the Scripture calls Abraham a friend of God and I think that part of that idea is found here in that the test was God wanted to see if Abraham was like him. Are you like me? Are you willing to give your son? Are you, do you, how great is your devotion for me? Are you willing to give up what is most dear? Because I will. It's like God wanted God selected Abraham. But if Abraham had failed this test, it might not have made it into our Bibles. God might have selected someone else who would have willingly been like God himself to offer up his own son. It's like God wanted to save the world through someone who would give up his own, their own child because he was, that's what he was going to do. Um, Moriah, in case you didn't know this, is referred to um, in uh, sec- first or second chronicles. <laughs> in one of the chronicles, uh, as uh, Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. So not only was God seeing if Abraham would offer his son like he was going to in the future, he chose him for it to be in the same place. I just think that's cool. It's like, oh my goodness. God told Abraham to go to the future Jerusalem to uh, offer his son because that's where Jesus was offered. There are a number of, of parallels between Isaac 
and Jesus. Isaac carried his own wood. Jesus carried the cross. Um, a major, uh, something a friend of mine likes to point out, I'm not sure how far you could push the details on this, um, but it's, as he loves to say, because f- Isaac asked Abraham, hey, I see the, uh, the wood, the knife, the fire, um, where's the lamb? And then after, when God tells Abraham, hold on, don't do it, and Abraham looks up and he sees a ram, but Abraham told Isaac that there would be a lamb. So my friend loves to ask, where is the lamb? And we see later, you know, thousand plus years later, we've, we finally get to meet the lamb that was promised. The promised lamb of God. And... Uh, what's amazing... One of the many things I find amazing about this is, so at verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And it was. Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, was offered in our place. He is, was the Lord's provision for us. God did provide as he said he would, as Abraham promised. And the Lord makes this solemn oath to Abraham. Verse 15. said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so... I'll, I'll just be transparent. The Hebrew pronouns, his, your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies, is uh, ambiguous. It could be their enemies. It's not clear whether this is plural or singular. And so some people interpret this plural, and some people interpret it singular. In favor of those who interpret it singular, they're in the same camp as Paul, the apostle, in the book of Galatians, who clearly said, this is singular. What's funny about that is, I imagine some of Paul's readers being, well, how do you know? (laughs) How can you tell Paul? It doesn't matter. That was his opinion, and it's inspired scripture, and so we can go ahead and understand this as speaking about Jesus. (laughs) And uh, so Jesus is the provided Lamb of God for the remission of our sins, to deal with sin. And uh, the first prophecy about Jesus in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, it says, And the seed of the woman, Eve, this is God talking to the devil, the seed of the woman will crush your head. 
Jesus will crush the head of, of the devil. And that happened on the cross. And we're, as his children, as his servants, we're living into that reality. And God is using us to further crush the enemy. And, uh, and um, but God also told the devil, the serpent, you will bruise his heel. And in many ways, we have bruised heels. We walk about with limps, and we're weak, and we're broken, and we often feel unworthy. Um, just yesterday, at prayer meeting, I was like, I wonder if I should call Travis and tell him I can't speak. I just feel so weak. I just feel so dull. I feel like I'm like almost backslidden. That's how I was feeling. It was just like, God, like, Revive me already. And uh, I'm just so comforted by the fact that God doesn't need me. Because <laughs> if he did, oh boy, like, there would be, that would be a big problem, but he doesn't need me. And if he delights to use me, that's, I just feel so blessed that, that he would delight to use me. And if that's what gives him pleasure, then that's awesome. Be pleased, O oh Lord, to use me if if you would. And uh, yeah, so I just shared that to encourage you. If you ever feel the same way, that uh, it's okay. Take comfort in the fact that God doesn't need you, and but He delights to use you. So just in in summary, in reverse order. The, the uh, order that we get to experience it is the Lamb of God that is also the son of Abraham that was promised to Abraham, gave himself for us, was given by the Father for us. Pro, he was our provision. He will come back as the son of David to rule and to reign. The son of David, uh, son of man, the perfect man. In uh, Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin on the night when he was, the morning just before he was killed, early in the morning, um, they ask him, just, they're giving, having this mock trial and breaking all their own rules with it and stuff and having false witnesses. And finally the high priest, because Jesus isn't giving them anything, He's like, just tell us already. Are you, the, are you the son of God? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus gives this indirect affirmation. Yeah, you say so. And then says, but hey, from now on you're going to see the son of man coming in the clouds with power. So that's Daniel 7. And seated at the right hand of the Father. That's Psalm 110. And he puts those two together. He's saying, yes, I am the perfect man, and I am the son of God. I'm the son of David. I'm going to rule and reign, and you're going to see it. And then they kill him, the lamb of God. So after Jesus returns as the son of man, as, as the son of David, he's going to perform the duties of the perfect man, and he's going to restore creation. So, so much of all the terrible stuff we see 
all around us, whether sin directly or just the results of sin indirectly, such as the existence of poison or uh, just like disease and death and all that stuff. He's going to undo it. And he's going to restore creation as a man, as was originally given to Adam and Eve. The amazing thing about God is that you can throw all these curveballs and he'll still kind of keep to his plan in a sense. He's still using humans to do it. He just came himself as a human. He's making it happen. (laughs) And so that is a uh, summary of the gospel message, the good news. Everything will be made new. And it will be done so under a king in Jerusalem. Uh, Whether we like that or not. Lord, I just thank you so much for all that you do and all that you've done and all that you are going to do and that we get to be your humble servants and uh, that you delight to use us. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. I ask, Lord, that the things I've shared this evening, which are important, uh, that you would help to glue it to our minds, that it would take root in our hearts, that, it would, that we would live it out, that we would live out of an understanding not only of who we are, but of whose we are, and of who you are, that nothing can touch us because of who you are. And when it feels like we're just being run over and run through the muck, it's, it, it's okay, you're, you're with us. You've got everything under control. We may not like it, but we can trust you. And uh, yeah, just bless your name, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.